All right, here we go. I'm going to read just one verse. And they said unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah, Hezekiah is the king of Judah. This day is a day of trouble and of rebuke and blasphemy. For the children are coming to the birth, and there is not strength to bring forth. We'll get into this, uh, this setting here as we move forward with this message this morning. But I would like to speak to you this morning on the title, Amen, There is a Miracle in the World. Amen. And different areas that we'll be touching on this morning, but I, I believe wholeheartedly that there are some, including myself, I'm sure, that you are possibly out of place in your life and you have been not so much struggling with the situation, but you've been trying to get to another place or whatever. You're trying to get to that place that God wants you to get to. And let me just say that don't give up. Come on, amen. amen. As in childbirth, as in our walk with God, sometimes we just need that one final push in order to see the miracle that God has planned for us. So, if you would, I'm going to ask Brother McEwen if he would please pray this morning. And uh, let's, uh, and please, uh, if you would, allow the word of the Lord to minister to you here today. Brother McEwen, please. Father, we covet your power and your presence today. For we know without your spirit we can do nothing of value. So we ask for you to visit us in a mighty way, that your power will anoint your word your messenger that we might receive this day what we need for we are living in a day of great need and we are truly a needy people we need your power to do your work within our lives uh, that we can accomplish what you put in our lives to do so bless this people today to receive your word in jesus name amen unless you can receive it Yesterday, Sister Kathleen and I made a quick trip up and back to Portland and uh, had an opportunity to have lunch with my older brother and spend some time. And then our main reason was that we were invited to go and celebrate with Steve Smith his uh, retirement after 45 years of welding. And what a great time it was, but we, uh, of course, we go way back and uh, even further than 45 years. And we were able to share some great stories, of course. And, and uh, one of those, one of the funniest was one time, one weekend, I was there and uh, Brother Steve had asked me to come and speak on a Sunday. And I was there and, uh, at his home. We had, uh, we had, gone through the Sunday morning service and Sunday afternoon the weather was good and I was sitting out on the porch studying the back porch and uh, Steve and 
his family, uh, at least he thought, were all taking a nap. And at the time, their youngest, Leslie, she was about that big, in diapers, and she was in her crib upstairs and uh, taking a nap, of course. And so what happened was I was out on the patio studying, and you know, and uh, all of a sudden, this little munchkin comes walking out in her diaper on the, the back porch, and I'm just thinking that they, you know, they got her up and, and everything, but come to find out, she had, and they didn't even know she could do this, she climbed out of her crib upstairs, walked down the stairs, opened the door to the back porch, and there she was. And I reminded her of that story yesterday, as now she is, I don't know how old she is, but she's older than two for sure. You know, and one of the, uh, one of the real joys in life, I guess, is not only watching your children, if you have had the opportunity, and those of you that haven't yet, we hope and pray that, that uh, the will of the Lord will lead you into parenthood, but one of the great joys, of course, is experiencing the birth of one of your child, right, one of your children, being there at that moment, and then watching them develop along the way, and then all of a sudden they turn into one of us, right? <laughs> and uh, I tell some of our young people that I'm so honored, and it is such a, uh, a pleasure to know some of our young people now as adults, and I knew them while they were just, you know, they were infants when their moms even were still carrying them. And I was reminded of our firstborn. And we had waited five years and I was getting old, I thought, 27, and Kathleen was 22, and, and uh, we had uh, we had went through the Lamas thing, right? We went through that. How many of you went through Lamas? Oh, yes. Yep. Got her down, got her down. We were in church, can you imagine, on a Sunday morning. Kathleen, she hadn't gone far. She was playing the organ. And we knew that, you know, that baby was ready to be born, and I knew it was a boy back then. Believe it or not, they couldn't tell you what kind, what flavor it was. I knew that was a boy, Simeon Luke, coming into the world. And so she was playing, and uh, she said, you know, I'm having contractions, and so I didn't know which ladies it it were, they decided they needed to take her for a walk. So in the middle of the service, they just walked around a couple of blocks, and I think it was around 11.15, I don't know. Finally she says, you know, I think we probably better go to the hospital. I says, cool. Uh, skipping church early, right? <laughs> so away we went. And uh, it was at Cadillac here, and in Richland, and 
after, I don't know, about six hours, you know, I'm, I'm the coach. I know how this is done, right? I'm the coach. And, and after about six hours of coaching, there's no baby yet. And so I, I decide I need to slip out and go to Wendy's and get a burger, fries, and a Frosty. I mean, at 27, you can eat all you want, right? Chocolate Frosties, fries, it don't matter. And so I came back and, and uh, I went into the room and I began to eat my burger and fries and my Frosty. And as you know, Kathleen was getting ice chips, I could not understand why she got very angry at me. Uh, and to this day, I still don't get it. It's true. And so, after, I don't know how, another four hours or so, our firstborn came into the world. But a few years ago, I recall listening to a preacher at Because of the Times, and he was telling the story about how his 17-year-old daughter, unwed daughter, had become with child, and uh, he told her, I'm, I'm with you all the, way. all the way. And so she was in the delivery room, and uh, he was on the outside, uh, maybe taking a break. I don't know what the deal was, but as the story progresses, uh, they, uh, uh, apparently they, the, the pain was so severe, and this young lady wasn't prepared for it. They had to medicate her quite heavily. And so after, I guess, several hours, the doctor came out to the dad, the preacher dad, and he uh, says, we need to talk. And he says, well, what's wrong? He says, well, there's a problem. He says, the baby and mother's lives are at risk right now. He says, well, why? He says, well, because that the medication has taken away the pain. And so the mother can't feel the pain or the need to give a final push to get that child out into the world. The doctor says she has got to feel the pain. That story has just stuck with me so, so, so many, so powerful and for all of these years. See, the birthing process that was going to produce a miracle, which all babies are, by the way, was depending on the mother being fully awake and being able to feel the extreme pain that was going to compel her to make that final push to give birth to that child. And I believe that in one sense, that is the dilemma of the church today. Is that we, Bible refers to us as Zion. There's all kinds of different stories in there, but 
I believe that that's part of our dilemma today is that God is asking the church to feel, not to put a band-aid on what's going on in life, but to feel the hour, the anguish, the pain that the world, real mothers, real fathers, real children are feeling today, and he's asking the church because we are the only ones, we are the only entity, we're the only body that can produce a miracle that will, that will produce a revival in the world that is going to satisfy. I wonder, because of course today it's a different world they can do the you know c-sections and all that but i wonder because of the role of motherhood of giving birth and experiencing pain i wonder if that is one of the main reasons why we see so many Proverbs 30 and 15 and 16 reads this. says, there are three things that are never satisfied. There are four that never say enough. says, the grave, the grave never says, I'm sorry, we're full. Wouldn't that be nice? The barren womb. The earth is never satisfied with water. And fire never says it's enough. They're always, always hungry for more. So we read to you this setting of scripture. One scripture, King Hezekiah who was king of Judah, the southern kingdom. How did they get to such a place that would move him to say such a very powerful statement? I'm going to read to you from a uh, translation here, other than the King James Version. And I, I just think it would be easier if I actually read to you so you get a better idea of where they're at here and how it got to be this way. Bible says that when Hezekiah became king, he removed the shrines on the hills, he broke down the obelisks, I don't know if that's the way you pronounce that, he knocked down the shameful idols of Asherah, he broke up the bronze serpent that Moses had made because the people of Israel began to worship it by burning incense to it, even though, as King Hezekiah pointed out to them, it was merely a piece of bronze. He trusted very strongly in the Lord God of Israel. In fact, none of the kings before or after him 
were as close to God as he was. For he followed the Lord in everything and carefully obeyed all of God's commands to Moses. So the Lord was with him. Listen carefully. This is what I believe that a life that follows fully after God shows. So he wasn't like the kings before him. He wasn't like his dad. He wasn't like his granddad. And it was during the fourth year, or excuse me, so the Lord was with him, prospered him, everything he did, and then he rebelled against the king of Assyria and refused to pay taxes any longer. Okay? He also conquered the Philistines as far as Gaza, and the suburbs and it was during the fourth year of his reign that the that this king of Assyria that he went in and he conquered the northern kingdom he conquered him took him into captivity this was still a part of the nation they had just, they had gotten to a place where they could no longer live together. Half of them decided, we're going to serve God. The other half decided, well, we're going to build our own, you know, our own worship center. And even in Judah, that had taken place. But Hezekiah came in and he says, this is not the way we do things. God began to prosper him. And in fact, I don't have time to read it all, but what took place was they actually, they remodeled, restored the temple, and they had the greatest Passover that had ever taken place, including they invited the people that were still in Samaria that had not been taken into Assyria, they invited those people to come and join them in the celebration of Passover. You'll find this in 2 Chronicles, I think, 30. And it was the greatest Passover that they had ever witnessed. The Bible says it was such a gigantic celebration that it went on for, instead of seven days, went on, I think, for 14 days. And so he had refused to pay tribute to the enemy. And then he broke all ties. He conquered Philistine, the Bible says, and uh, he was on a roll. But the enemy, the king of Assyria, he had conquered half of that nation, and he decided... If I can get half of them, I can get the rest of them. And so, now, I have to kind of move through this fairly quickly here. But what happened was that Hezekiah, he comes and he hears about Assyria is coming after you, son. He's coming after you. 
Assyria has conquered pretty much a big part of the world. They're going after Judah, then they're going after Egypt. And they're coming, Judah is right in the pathway of them getting to Egypt. Assyria comes and the king comes and, and he says, we are going to destroy you and Jerusalem. They had came, they had captured some of the key cities around. Now they were going after the big guy. And they came and first off, Hezekiah says, listen, he says, watch what happens here. He says, I apologize for not paying the taxes. He says, can we compromise here? That's what happens. His compromising leads to him going and taking treasures from the house of God. Compromise. The Bible says he took the silver out of the house of God. He even went as far as he stripped the gold from the doors of the temple in order to negotiate a settlement with the enemy it was amounted to 1.5 million dollars and he thought that he had done the right thing and it worked for a short period of time the enemy found out he heard and this was prophetic he had heard that hey there, he had to go take other business and so he sent a letter back with a couple of generals and he said listen he says do you really think that your God can save you from me Paid him off. Got a reprieve. Part of it says, don't be fooled by the God you trust in. Do not believe it when he says, Jerusalem or your city will not be conquered by me. He said, no one can save you from my power. When Hezekiah heard this report of his cabinet, the Bible says he tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth. He went into the temple to pray. You see, although he had he had done a lot of good things, a lot of reform, he had made progress. But now the enemy was knocking on the door. And he had real live people. Men, women, fathers and mothers, and their children that were saying, hey, preacher, hey, Hezekiah, hey, God, where are you? But Hezekiah, 
He had to feel. He had to feel. Not just that he was making things right in the house of God for the people to worship. No. He had to feel what the people were feeling on the outside of the building. And the Bible says that he went in and he began to pray and and uh, he a message came back from Isaiah. And and Hezekiah said, here's what it feels like. He says, it feels like it that we are in a time of trouble and anguish and division with the enemy knocking on my front door. And he says, this must be the way that a mother feels when she goes to death's door and she has no more strength in her, but she knows that she's got to make one final push in order to yeah, bring God. that miracle to birth. Families were counting on him. I don't have time to read. I have to. And the word comes back from Isaiah. And he says, you, here, Hezekiah, hear me. He says, here's what the Lord says. He says, I have everything under control. I am going to turn your enemy back on the road that he came from. He said, and this is the proof I will do as I promised. He says, this year, you, my people, Israel, will eat the volunteer wheat and use it as next year's crop, and in the third year, they will have a bountiful harvest. What do you mean by that? It means that the city had been under siege. It meant that the farmers were not able to put in the crops correctly. They weren't producing enough food for the people to eat. But God says, here's the deal. He says, I want you to know that that crop that you planted last year, it will suffice you and there will be a miracle crop that will grow from the residue of the seed that you planted. And he said, it will do the job until that I turn that enemy back and you will once again eat the fruit from your own labor. And he said, and you shall be a great nation again. And it goes on and says, the Lord is eager to cause this to happen. The bottom line is, the Lord sent an angel into the camp of the enemy. Mm -hmm. And slew 185 Overnight. How big's your enemy? How big is your how big is 
How big is the booger man at your house? Hallelujah. <laughs> Come on. Are you it didn't say that he sent an army of an angel, of angels. It says he sent one angel and destroyed not just that king who would be taken up later on in his own home, but he destroyed 185,000 of the enemy forces overnight. And it all began when the king was brought to a place where they needed deliverance. They needed a miracle, but they had ran out of strength to get the job done. I'm telling you that you can only do so much on your own mm -hmm. unless you give God the opportunity to work in your life. You will always come short. But when you give God the opportunity to operate in your life, I'm telling you that there is a miracle. There is room. There is opportunities that will actually lift you above whatever storm, whatever dilemma that you're going through. There is nothing that can stop him from accomplishing his will in your life. Hallelujah. Can I tell you that the human race got to such a place? There was no deliverer. So God sends a message to the prophet. He says, I looked, but there was no man to fill the gap. He says, oh, I will. I'll fill that gap. Amen. I'll fill the gap for you. I'll come and take that place. Can I tell you that? I believe that God had to feel the pain experience of the suffering human race through the body of Jesus Christ before the church could be birthed. Mm -hmm. Come on. Because unless you feel it, you cannot overcome it. You cannot get through it. You don't know what to pray for. You don't know how it's going to come about. And so God had to experience human suffering through the body of human flesh. And he did so through the miraculous birth of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was God invisible, made visible. Back Hebrews 10, 5 through 7, paraphrasing here, but Jesus says, as he came into the world, I have come to lay down my life. Mm -hmm. I tell you, Gethsemane was his birth pain. Mm -hmm. Hear me. Gethsemane was his travailing. 
Gethsemane was when he felt the complete rejection of humanity, his own creation. Gethsemane was, the Bible says, when he went a little bit further, he went further than men could go. He went to a place because he knew that unless he experienced it, and the Bible says he experienced the full weight of sin. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Says that he suffered the shame. He suffered the reproach. He felt the entire weight of lost humanity. And he said, not my will, Lord, but your will. Because I know I've got to feel it. He says, if only this birth pain would pass from me. The newborn church was in the womb. And there was only one that could take it to the place of birth. The new church was in the womb of Zion, but in our case, God paid the ultimate price for our new birth. It is finished, he says, the words that come from the cross. Jesus died giving birth to me. He literally died giving birth to the church. There was no other way. I believe the first church had to get to such a place even though the price had been paid they still had to feel the travail of prayer that would give birth to the church on the day of Pentecost Acts 1 reads these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication until the church was born It wasn't a 5.30 to 6.30 endeavor. Please hear me. It was a continuation of unity and purpose knowing that God was calling on them for an hour that never would be in time and eternity again. He was asking more than 120 in the beginning, but it got down to the nitty-gritty, the 120. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't an hour, and it wasn't a day, and it wasn't two days, and it was not a week. But the Bible says that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, it was a ten-week endeavor to give birth to something that was going to be the most powerful entity and body in the entire universe. It was going to take those committed 120 people to say, no, we will not 
Let me read to you from the book of Isaiah, chapter number 66. I don't know. Brian, can you, maybe you can put that up there. That would be helpful. Then. Um, verses 6 through 9. I want you to look at this very carefully. You see, God never brings his people to a place without the assurance that what he starts, he needs mm -hmm. to finish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does not operate. I wish he would operate more. I, don't, I can't tell you necessarily all the angels and what they're doing, but what I do know is that I can't count on an angel to pray my prayer. I can't count on an angel to preach the message. I can't count on an angel to pray and help you. I have to depend on the body of Christ on earth. Isaiah, as he close out, the most insightful prophetic Old Testament writing. I can't even read it half the time without getting dizzy, right? <laughs> but here's what he does. He, he closes it out. He says, a voice of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, a voice of the Lord that rendereth recompense to his enemies. Listen to this. Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. Who has heard of such a thing? Who's seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? Or as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the birth and not cause to bring forth, saith the Lord? Shall I cause to bring forth and shut the womb, saith thy God? Every stage, every generation is required to reproduce another generation. It's not a if, it's not a if we get her done. No, sir. Every generation is required to go through this process of birth in order to replenish the earth with the people of God. It is a requirement, young men and young ladies, it's not something that we watch or we listen to or we read about or what. No, sir. It is an absolute requirement that, that you and I, as part of this generation, that we travail and we give birth to another generation. And in our case, it possibly will be the last generation. along it goes on I think maybe verse number 12 it talks about this here you go yeah listen oh thus saith the Lord behold 
I will extend peace to her like a river and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. That's talking about the church and, and possibly about the prophetic millennial reign. I don't know. But what I do know is this, that the promises of God are assured. The promises of God That's do right. not change. Amen. And what God desires is to produce and give a miracle, to give birth to a miracle in each and every one of our lives. I don't know what it is that, that you are facing today. I don't know what it is that God is prompting and urging and nudging you as an individual this morning. But I do know that as a body, as this church, I believe with all of my heart that God is moving us toward a place that we've never been before. And I know, as a preacher, that there is no strength within me to give birth to this thing that is in the womb. It's called revival. It's the son of revival that comes every generation. Every generation has to give birth to this son called revival. One final push. As you stand with us. Just one, wherever you're at, one, just one, one more, just keep on it, determined, committed, I'm dedicated to this thing, this thing is not going away. Women, mothers, caring children. Uh, I can probably assure us all that there are days when those mommies to be say, Miss, make it go away. <laughs> See, if you're in the church, we are pregnant with revival. It is not going to go away because it is God that has brought us to this place. It is not going away. Now I'm sure there are times in all of our lives that we feel it right. Just Lord, just Make it go away. Brother <laughs> yeah. Steve is Kelly's brother. Such a, I wrote a little letter to him on the way there and told him how much of an inspiration he's always been to me, but especially in the beginning. In the beginning. 
we point that bone and finger in my face and says, Grant, you're gonna do this. <laughs> I tell him, I say, I blame you for, but you know, retirement, retirement's a good thing. Retirement's a good thing, but I, I don't think he would mind me sharing this. I would share it with anybody. It just caught my attention. I told him, I said, I said, Brother Steve, I said, I want you to know that in our early years, I always felt like that you had the spirit of Caleb. The Bible says he had a different spirit. His report was good. We're going to kick you know what. Yeah. <laughs> you know why he could say that? Is because that he had experienced what it felt like to carry a load of sin in his life. And when God opened the door of that jail, he said, God, in jail, I have jail. I'm a new man. And I'll never forget when God did such a transformation in his life. I was just totally shocked. I never seen anybody change so quickly. I was dumbfounded. Praise God. And I told him, I says, you have no idea what that did to me. I says, but Steve, and I turned it to numbers, I think 14th chapter, and I says, but I want you to know that after 45 years, Caleb still had that spirit. And I says, I believe that you still have that spirit. Understand is it our elders here, some of us I'm not Jeff and I I'm not talking just, you know, the day will come when I won't have such an active role in ministry. It's you know, it's just one of those things, but how do you re- how do you retire when you're pregnant? You pretend like it's not there. (laughs) I understand is it I don't know how one just lays aside what we feel in today's world. How do you just Lay that down. How do you just take that hat off? Come on. Mm-hmm. Uh, trust me, I believe in living, right? I'm all in. I'm going to be out there in that sunshine as much as I can. But something I'm going to share. Something that I experienced the other day on the golf course is that they, there was three of us, they teamed us up with a uh, gentleman, I seen him sitting on the outside. Hey, hello, how you doing? He's wearing a red hat, if you know what that means. And he's, I'm good, man, I'm good, I'm good. That's just, you know, connection a little bit. So he joined us, he was 81. And uh, just immediately connected, you know, and finally it came out, he was, he, I said, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm, I'm raising, I'm touring, raising money for an orphanage in the Philippines. 
really? 81. I says, you know, and then our connection was made with the Philippines. And he says, yeah, he says, uh, I'm the former district superintendent of Alaska and Washington at the Church of God. Mm. And he's out there just kicking it up, right? But he still has not been able to just push it under the chair. You know? Right, like right. You know what? Because the world, yeah. lost humanity depends on what I can produce within myself and what we can produce as a local assembly. Mm -hmm. Do you realize that we could be the 120 that could ignite a revival? Amen. Amen. Yes. Amen. Yes. Yes. We close here this morning, and I ask you very sincerely, if you're here, social distancing, whatever you feel comfortable with, please use caution is all we ask. But if, you, if there's a need in your life, if you need a miracle today, I assure you that God knows what you need, and he wants to get you to a place because he would not bring you to this place without the opportunity to get it done. So whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever it is, you can come down here to the front and you can have a little bit of distance here, wherever you're at. But would, if you're here and you need a miracle, you, you, we, we'd like you to have the first opportunity. You come down to the front and we're going to pray with you, for you, whatever the need is, because God will do the miracle. And then we're going to baptize this dear lady here in just a few minutes. But would you come this morning, or if you, if wherever you're at, if you would just take a, a couple of minutes here before we go into the baptismal service, and would you pray, would you Seek the Lord here for just a few minutes. And let me challenge you, mothers and fathers, granddaddies and grandmommies, it's not just about you. It is about your children and your brother's children and your sister's children and those children of your neighborhood and you're where it's not about me it is about them could we just lift our hands to the lord our hearts would you lift your heart to the lord here for just a few minutes would you ask him if you're here I believe that there are some here today that there is a very strong possibility that there is a call of God in your life. And I know that there is also that possibility with the call to do the Jonah thing, right? 
and just kind of toss it aside for a while. But if there's a call, God will take you to a place. And you will get to that place. Oh, for the sake of our city, for the sake of our families, for the sake of our world, for the sake of our president, for the sake of the future of our country, for the sake of our world.